Well, let us just pray as we begin. Dear God, today is a, a really special Sabbath. It is communion Sabbath. And so as we celebrate what you have done for us together, we're praying for your spirit to be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title is A Wedding and a Bridge. <clears throat> and so now I'm going to try to explain to you how that goes with communion. It happened, it's like three months ago, Barbara and I officiated our first wedding together. Now, we've both done weddings several times, but this was the first time we both did it together. And it happened because the bride, Candace Ballister, had worked with Barbara in the children's ministry for a long time. And then she wanted to come into the Magabook program. And so she, she came into the program. And then Oscar Salgado happened to be in the program. And they met. And over time, they fell in love. And they wanted to get married. And so as I was asking them about the, their, how they got together and everything, I was especially interested in how they got engaged. <clears throat> and so it happened at Disney one night on a bridge with fireworks. I mean, my goodness, it doesn't get much more romantic than that. And here they are on this bridge together, and Oscar said to Candace, Candace, when you look behind you, that's your life before me. And when I look behind me, that's my life before you. And now here we are together on this bridge, and bridges bring people together and I'm wanting our lives to come together forever. And he got down on one knee and asked her to marry him, and Candace said yes. And so I told that story in the wedding, <clears throat> and then I had found this poem about a married couple and a bridge. And so I'm, I'm going to read that poem to you. They say a wife and a husband bit by bit, can rear between themselves a mighty wall. So thick they cannot speak with ease through it, nor can they see across it. It stands so tall. Its nearness frightens them, but each alone is powerless to tear its bulk away, and each dejected wish he had known for such a wall some magic thing to say. So let us build a bridge of love between your life and mine a bridge of tenderness and very near, a bridge of understanding, strong and fine, till we have formed so many lovely ties, there never will be room for walls to rise. Now, before I go on and put this all together, this beautiful couple is here. So I want you to meet them. Come up here, Candace and Oscar. <clears throat> These are our new newlyweds. Let's give them a nice round of applause. <laughs> and Candace, I had told you that I had a, I wanted to give you this poem, right? That I just love that poem and I'm for you. So I have a little gift here for you. And Oscar, if you will hold it. And Candace, you can pull out. 
So they did the second service, so it's not quite as exciting, but you know how it goes. But um, why don't you just show everybody, see? There's your poem, Candace and Oscar, and your poem, okay? So congratulations. You have, thank you for coming here. You have been the inspiration for me to try to put this together. But not only that, these two were students in our program for several years, and then they became leaders for many, many years. They were excellent students. They were outstanding leaders. They made a huge contribution to our Magenburg program. And we are very, very thankful for what you did. So thanks, thank you again for being here and, and sharing with us. And, and also for the privilege of Barbara and I to be in, involved in your wedding. Let's give them a nice round of applause. And I got to tell you, Oscar, you're such a romantic. You kind of make the rest of us look bad anyway. So, <laughs> so they're, they're all going to go down to the other church right now. I told them they could they'd go. They've been to the other services. So I read that poem, and then I told them I, in their wedding, this is your story. And your story is a little miniature story of the big story, of the story of the gospel, how Jesus made a bridge with his life all the way from heaven to earth. Jacob saw it as a ladder, but I think we could say it's a bridge coming from heaven to earth. And he made this bridge, and the bridge of eternal life for us. And he, the, the Bible says that, that Jesus is our bridegroom, and we are the bride. And he says to us, when you look behind you, that's your life before me. And when I look behind me, that's my life before you. And now here we are on this bridge of eternal life that I have made with my life. And we are going to walk across that bridge together, hand in hand, all the way into the kingdom. And throughout all eternity, we will form so many lovely ties. Never again will there be room for walls to rise. That's your story. That's my story. But this bridge of eternal life has some foundations, some pillars of our faith that hold it up, that make the whole thing happen. And so I just want to review a couple of those pillars because without them, there wouldn't be a, a bridge. For example, over here is we're kind of like this part of the bridge going into the kingdom. One of the pillars is the gift of the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for the gift of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even be able to get on the bridge. In fact, we wouldn't even know there was a bridge. And as the time shortens, God wants us to have a full measure of the Spirit. There's been many times the church has had a full measure. You know, Pentecost and the Reformation and all the rest, but as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, He wants us to have a full measure. Every summer, our students, we have a theme. Last year was Dare to be a Daniel. Before that, if you want to change the world. <clears throat> this year, a full tank. Full tank. A full measure of the Spirit. Full tank. Now, when I think of a, a full tank, or I, I think of my car. And... You know, I like to have it full. Now, like, for example, how many of you here wait till it gets on E to start 
thinking about filling it up. Are there any E's in here? Oh, my goodness. There's quite a few. Whoa. I hope you make it home after church. I like to have... I started thinking about filling it up from half to three quarters. I like a full tank. Barbara, she likes quarter tank. She starts thinking about it. Lauren, our daughter, fumes. <laughs> she thinks the F is fumes. See either that or she thinks the E is the economy because she knows daddy's going to fill it up for her, one of the two. And she's got me wrapped right around her little finger and she knows it. And she doesn't need me to fill it up. She's got a good job, but she knows I'm going to fill it up because I, I love to do that because I love her. So that's our little thing. But God wants us to have a full measure, a full tank. When I was a pilot in the Air Force, I took a flight one time from Charlotte all the way to, to Honolulu. By the way, I, I know I shouldn't rush the, rub this in, but you know, Barbara and I just went to Hawaii on a cruise about a month ago or two, and that's all I'm going to tell you right now. It was, was, it was awesome. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. You know, as you get older, you do those kind of things. You know, that's what we worked all our life to kind of travel a little bit, so it was cool. But, but when, I, when I was a young man and I was a pilot in the Air Force, we took this flight, and when we got ready to come back, the fuel officer would only give us three-quarters of a tank to fly back home. And we didn't think too much of that. Who wants to fly out over the ocean with only three-quarters fuel? And he wasn't budging. But it just so happened we had our commander with us. And he was a general. He was a pilot also, but he was leaving the flying to us. But he he was with us. And so we told him about the situation. So he went to the fuel officer who was a major. So you got a general and you got a major. And the general said to the major, Major, I understand you're only going to give us three-quarters fuel to fly back to the mainland. And the major said, yes, sir, that's the best we can do. It's a new directive, and that's all we can do, sir. And the the general said to the major, well, major, that does present a problem. Because you see, I like to fly with my tanks full. And the major had a two-word response to the general. You got it. You all want to say it with me? Yes, sir. And we flew out of Hawaii with full tanks. So, when Major D, the D stands for the devil, comes to you and says, oh, don't worry about it. I know Jesus is coming soon, but don't worry. Three quarters is going to get you there. You'll be just fine. You tell him, your heavenly father is a very, 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 very high-ranking general, the highest in the universe, and he says you can have a full tank. And it's for the asking. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And it's for sinners like us. Luke eleven thirteen. You being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So, yeah, we need a full measure as we're coming into the kingdom. And without the Spirit, we wouldn't be able to get on the bridge. In fact, we wouldn't even know there was a bridge. So this is vital. But there's other pillars. For example, over here at the beginning of the bridge, 
the birth of Jesus. His birth was totally different than any other birth there's ever been because his was a divine birth. And if it hadn't been for that, this bridge never would have even gotten started. And his life was a sinless life, a perfect life. If it wasn't for that, never would have happened. And his death, a vicarious death. And today this is communion, and we do show the Lord's death till he comes, so that's the central pillar. I'm going to save that one. I want to talk about that at the end. I just want to come over here to this pillar right here. Jesus' ministry in heaven. When he ascended on high, he went into the sanctuary in heaven to intercede for us. What does that mean? It means when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinfulness. He sees us through the lens of the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. Oh, my goodness, we need that to get on the bridge. But that wasn't all. There's more. Because just as the apostles were commissioned to preach the cross at the peril of their lives, and they gave their lives, our pioneers were commissioned to to add to that that Jesus' ministry was changing in heaven. The real day of atonement was coming, the real day of judgment. And they they were commissioned to preach that as well as the cross. That this time was coming, and it was, in fact, Daniel even said when it was happening in 1844. And so this is a vital thing, that the judgment has started in heaven. Now, I want to read to you one of the books, a little paragraph from this. It's called, we call it the History of Freedom. That's one of the, this really, you know it as the Great Controversy. This is one of the books that our students are selling this summer. And there's a paragraph in here under our safe, only safeguard the scriptures, just one paragraph. <clears throat> we, it says here, we are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depends upon the course which we are now pursuing. Pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what will thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. So I want to just look at one scene in Daniel chapter 7, just two verses. Verses 9 and 10. It says in Daniel 7, 9 and 10, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. That's God the Father. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was white like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth before him. A thousand thousand ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Now maybe this is some little bit symbolic, but any way you do the math, ten thousand times ten thousand is 100 million. That's going on now, standing before him in this judgment scene. And it says the court was seated. Now, whenever we think of a court being seated, I mean, that'd be like our day in court. The first thing we think about if we have to go to court, innocent or guilty, it doesn't matter. We want a lawyer, somebody to represent us. Now, we may talk tough and say, oh, I'll represent myself. But when push comes to shove, we want a lawyer. 
I mean, just look at the news. Even the lawyers are getting lawyers today. Everybody wants a lawyer. And the Bible says, Jesus is our lawyer. I pray you don't sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate, our defense attorney. And it's really important that your attorney have a relationship with the judge. You want an attorney that knows the judge. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. It's really, really, really important and vital and awesome when you, if you have an attorney that knows the judge. But it's really, 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 really awesome when your defense attorney is the judge. And that's what's going on in heaven. Jesus is our judge. And he's also our advocate and our vindicator and our restorer. It doesn't mean we get some kind of free pass. I mean, we get in special treatment. There's no two ways about it. But it doesn't mean we get a free pass. It just means that God is so intense about us being with us in his kingdom. He is doing everything he can to ensure our salvation. The Bible even says over here, the judgment was made in favor of the saints. So, yeah. And there's something else about this whole pillar. Over here in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunders and an earthquake and gray hail. This is way over in the, this hail and everything is way over in the New Testament at the end of time. And you could see the Ark of this Covenant. That's where this great day of atonement judgment is taking place, in the most holy place where the Ark is. And that's the real Ark. And inside the real Ark is the real Ten Commandments. And on those real Ten Commandments, it looks exactly like it does in our Bible because God gave a copy of it and gave it to Moses and he put it in the earthly Ark. That was for us, not just for them back then. That was for us. The Sabbath in all of its glory, the creation Sabbath is written right on there, way over in the New Testament. Testament. Nothing has changed. All my commandments are sure. They stand fast for ever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. I will not alter the thing that has come out of my mouth. So nothing's changed. And we, just like our pioneers, they looked up and they saw Jesus standing next to his law, and they knew they weren't saved by the law. Why would you want the law to save you when the Savior is standing right next to it? They knew that our only relationship with the law was very simple, simply to obey it. But it was like a guiding light. It was like a ship on the ocean. They could look up, guiding themselves by the stars at night. We can look up into the sanctuary. They may, in the end, take away your Bible. God help us, they might even take away our cell phones. Who knows? <laughs> and you may forget the verses, but one thing nobody can take away from you is that image of Jesus up there and nothing has changed. He's standing next to his law, and you can always remember that. And I didn't just make that up. That comes right out of the chapter in this book, The Great Controversy, America and Bible Prophecy. All the details are right there. So yeah, this is a vital, vital pillar. If it wasn't for that pillar, we would never be able to get on the bridge. In fact, if it wasn't for that pillar, we wouldn't even know which direction to go on the bridge. But now we can look up. 
And we know, which, we know we're, on, we're not following some cunning device fable. We are on the right path. Praise the Lord. So now, I want to finish this. Come to the center pillar, the cross. We do show the Lord's death till he comes. This is the pillar that holds the whole bridge up. When I think about, we think about the cross, there's a lot, so many details that God wants us to think about. And that's why he says to review these things, his life, especially the last days, every day to think about it. But like, for example, there's the, the, the earthquake. There was an earthquake that happened. So that's one thing. There was the veil in the temple that was torn by an angel right in two. And this was not just some little sheet. This was a big, thick piece of cloth. Nobody could have torn that. It went right in two. There was the mocking of the soldiers, the wailing of the women, all these little details. But we in this series have been talking about voices of testimony. We've had many sermons, beautiful sermons, of voices of testimony. And today we've had some testimonies from our students I'm thinking about the voice of testimony of Jesus on the cross. Just his voice, his words, a testimony to us. For example, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, those words are for us. It wasn't just for them back then. then. Our sins are just as responsible for putting him on the cross as, as anybody else. So yeah, those, are, those words speak hope for us, to us. And then to his family, his mother, woman, behold thy son, and John, behold thy mother. He was thinking about his family, his mother. And that's who he wants us to think about. We are a family. And in the middle of the cross, that's what he was thinking about, his family, the people who were closest to him. And then the, the thief on the cross, the one person that gave him encouragement, He called him Lord, the only person that really, really encouraged Jesus through this whole trial. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I'm telling you right now, you will be with me in paradise. Those are for us. The hope they bring us that we're going to be in paradise with him. And his last words, it is finished. That resounded throughout the entire sinless universe. It brought hope to every created being in the universe that the apostasy of sin, when Jesus spoke those words, was over. And never again would it rise again. But now, this time, we show the Lord's death. I'm thinking about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Bible, there's two deaths. There's the first death. Then after Jesus comes, a thousand years, there's the second death. When the apostle Paul was executed, he died the first death. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down. He still, it was the first death. Everybody that's ever died, everybody that's ever died, has died the first death. There's only one exception. Jesus did not die the first death. He died the eternal second death, the death where there is no resurrection. There is no hope. The death that the wicked must look to at the end of the millennium when they, the lost look through those walls of the New Jerusalem, the holy city, 
Those walls are transparent. The Bible says they're made of glass, jasper. And they look through there, and they see their loved ones saved. And they're with the holy angels, and they see Christ in his glory. And all of a sudden, it dawns on them that they just forfeited eternal life for the frivolity and the foolishness of a sinful, pleasure-loving life that lasted only a flash of time, and it was over. That's hell. And that's the death that Jesus died. When he cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father was there. The Holy Spirit was there. But sin is such a terrible, terrible, terrible thing that he could not see through the portals of the tomb. As far as he was concerned, he was giving up his eternal existence so that you and I can have eternal life. And there's only one reason that he could be raised from a death like that, and that's because he never sinned. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that's the death that we are celebrating today. And it's because of that death that we were able to get on the bridge, the bridge of eternal life with Jesus. And we're going to walk with him hand in hand all the way into eternity. And throughout eternity, we with Jesus will form, because of what he did, so many lovely ties that never again will there be room for walls to rise.